0: Next Melbourne Football Club. You're listening to the coaches panel. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club. Trent Cotchin from the Richmond Footy Club. Scott Pennebry from the Collingwood Football Club. You're listening to the coaches panel. Patrick Coombs from the Carlton Footy Club. It's Roy Sloane here from the Adelaide Crows. This is Tom Mitchell from the Hawthorne Footy Club, and you're listening to the coaches panel.
1: Hey, friends. It's MJ from the coaches panel. We are one day away from being at the halfway point of the 2021 fantasy footy season. Well, of the 50 most relevant countdown anyway, we're nowhere near halfway the fantasy footy season. Number 26 today, CP5, Christian Petrarca, and a chat about him. He's probably one guy that I know he's a big ripping fan of. Maybe it's because he's a demon supporter or he just loves good footballers. I'm talking about Kane.
0: Hello, mate. How you doing? Very well, MJ. This is a guy that, if we rewind 12 months, we were debating with a few people how real his preseason was, and I know that we were pro Petrarca in last preseason, yeah. we've never seen him, you know, attract so much of the ball in a game like he showed in that incredible preseason performance he had. And it was one of those ones that actually carried through. He kept that role and he went from a guy that was a, you know, half forward, you know, a little bit of time in the midfield to a genuine dominant inside midfielder and kept that scoreboard impact when he went forward. So phenomenal breakout year from Petrarca. One that I think we were waiting on for a while. It arrived, it arrived in a big way. But the landscape has changed as we enter 2021 because he is no longer a Ford.
1: Yeah, he is just a pure midfielder for us. And much like Patrick Dangerfield, a similar style of player, took a little bit longer for him to hit his breakout year, but at 25 years old, you could safely believe there's a minimum five, six, maybe seven years of premium territory Petrarca for fantasy footy coaches. His highest score last year in Super Coach is actually his career high score as well. It's a 160. That was against the North Melbourne Football Club. While in AFL fantasy and dream team, it was a 109. That's not an adjusted score. His career high score, not adjusted, is a 110 against the Cats from just a couple of years earlier. So if, if you play greater weighting of the adjusted averages score. Okay, sure. Then that was his career high score in that format. If not, cool. You got to go back a couple of years against the Cats. Last year, that average in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, an 86.4, or if you want to play the adjusted averages, that's a 108, while in Supercoach, just shy, not far off that magical 120 marker for us. It was 117.5. In that format of Supercoach, he is going to set you back just over $630,000, Just under 800K in Dream Team and 825,000 in AFL Fantasy. And and all signs for years came, we're talking about this breakout. We saw moments, we saw quarters, we even saw a game or two every now and then where Petrarca got that midfield role and opportunity. But he didn't just take a hold of the opportunity given to him by Simon Goodwin. He hit it out of the park and, and proved to be probably one of the most dominant midfielders in the game last year.
0: Yeah, and he's actually probably in contention with Max Gorn and Clayton Oliver as who is the most valuable Demons player because when Petrarca played really well, Melbourne tended to win and it's, it's mm. reflected in his scoring. When you look at the nine games that Melbourne won, Petrarca averaged 115 DT and 131 Supercoach points. Wow. And in those nine games in Supercoach, all of them were tons. So it wasn't <laughs> like there was a few really big scores that pushed it up while there were some high ceiling games, like you mentioned in the one sixties, mm. again, the floor in wins was over hundred. So that's incredibly impressive. And again, in losses, hundred D10, 103 super coach. So not, not disastrous on the flip side, but it was the nature of his game that really, really impressed me. You mentioned, yeah. obviously we're in, we were in shortened quarters last year. So 1.25 in that yardstick we've used to convert stats. So Petrarca averaged 24 touches last year in a shortened game. 1.25 on that takes us to 30, MJ. Gosh. Average 30 touches a game for 17 games. If you look at his career before last season, his most touches in a game was 29. Now he's gone a whole season averaging 30 touches a game. Kick to handball ratio is the same. So 15 kicks, 15 handballs, if we look at it like that. If we convert his marks and tackles, it's about four a game each. Mm. And then he was just shy of a goal a game in shortened quarters as well. Yeah. So that's the type of guy that, is really hard to shut down because if you look at his lowest disposal game last year, again, it jumps out. It's 15 disposals. But when you dive deeper into it, it was the game he went forward against the Saints and kicked four goals and won them the game in the forward line. That's why he's such a good super coach player in particular and such a hard fantasy player to stop because if it's not working in the midfield and if he's not getting enough of the ball there, MJ, he can be swung forward and have a big impact in a very short period of time. And he's a player that there's not many players that want to match up with him in those parts of the ground, is there?
1: And from a fantasy footy matchup, like he's just really difficult. So if you feel like you can get a hold of him with that right matchup inside forward 50, well, then he'd go into the midfield and expose you or do that in the exact reverse. You're looking through some of the data of what he delivered last year. You mentioned that increase in possessions. He ended up ranking fourth in the AFL for total contested possessions, six for score involvements and 12th inside 50s. That's not even per game averages, which are considerably higher. That's just total of what he did. And if you think Melbourne can improve inside forward 50 with now a a bit more structure uh, around that forward 50 with Ben Brown coming in, hopefully another year of development of Sam Wiedemann. Pickett spent another year and as a small he should hopefully be able to impact. That's again, as we try to look for can he improve or can he maintain what he did in a new year? These are some of the things we look at. Because last year he ended up delivering a fantastic year for us. He ranked first for all forwards in Supercoach um, in both averages and total points cleared the second by over 200 points. He averaged 117, 13 tons 9 over 126 over 130, one 99 score, so you know, just missing out on that ton, and just you alluded to that one game already. Just that one score in Super Coach below 80, while in Dream Team and Fantasy, an average of 86. That's adjusted at 108. At two tons, five additional scores 90 plus, four additional scores 80 plus. So that's 11 of his 17 games. If you're playing the adjusted averages game, that are 100 or more, and he had just two scores below 73. All year, again, there's there's some flaws in putting the 1.25 to everything. So you can't bank on that too much. But just to help us understand how good and how consistent his season was, if you were to play the adjusted averages game off his lowest score last year, it's the equivalent of an 86. So here's this guy who, who scores in every column, um, who's really hard to stop was consistently one of the best across all lines. And then something he doesn't get enough credit for is he's just incredibly durable outside of that ACL injury that ruined the start of the year. He's missed one game of home and away footy in five seasons. And so he's durable. He demonstrated a scoring ceiling. He lifted that scoring floor. And he's a legitimate point of difference this year because when people lose a dual position status, They flock away from them. But if you look at him in contrast to other midfielders, he's right up there in the top of the bunch with what we've got available this year anyway.
0: Yeah, I think there's a few things, MJ. Clearly last year was his breakout year. And I think you have to almost disregard the 2016 through 19 seasons because the role he's playing is so dramatically different that um, you just can't compare them. So obviously the issue then is I've got one year of seeing Petrarca at his best. I think the way he plays, especially how he played last year, he had a lot of impact in those games yeah. that he played well in. And as a result, with a smaller, um, he, he took a bigger piece of the pie. We've spoken about that a lot in Supercoach. The weighting was definitely going the way of players that were having a big impact. And mm. we saw there was a lot of big averages, you know, almost record high averages with Gorn and, Gorn and Neil in particular. So is there actually value in Petrarca? You know, where can he improve? I looked at his time on ground. It was up at ninety percent last year, so maybe you can get a percentage bump, one or two percent at yeah, best. Maybe. I think ninety is again. If he could hold that, I think that's well, about all we can ask quarters, for. As
1: if he could hold that, spend some more time. Forward. Yeah, and that's obviously positive.
0: that gives him you know more chance to score as well because he's on the yeah. field more. I don't think he's the type of player that um, the shorter quarters will see that fall away dramatically, especially when he's playing that split role at times where he can rest forward. Um, Turnovers, he was high. He was the third, yeah. he had the third most turnovers per game. So, if you want a category that if he could, you know, tighten up that area, his kicking efficiency wasn't great either. It was actually ranked below average for the league. Again, it's hard to criticize a guy who has a poor kicking efficiency when he wins so much contested ball. Yes. And when he has so many shots on goal as well, he gets punished for that. So, MJ, to me, the best case scenario in Coach is 120. So, really, your best, your best scenario is you're getting what you pay for pretty much. And I think that's one of the reasons in this season with a bit of value around that people will look past Clayton Oliver. On the flip side, it's also a pretty busy buy round, isn't it?
1: Yeah, look, that's probably what... If you look for reasons why am I not picking him, it's the... I'm chasing value and that buy around. So he shares that with the Adelaide Crows. So let's say Matt Crouch, in terms of the midfield, that is probably the most notable through there. Collingwood, maybe you're looking at a, a Taylor Adams as a candidate through there for Fremantle. Nat Fife, certainly for super coach. Um, maybe you're thinking a breakout. Uh, continues for Caleb Sorong or you love the back end of the year of an Andy Brayshaw there through there, Jack Steele, Brad Crouch from the Saints and then the Swans you've got the ever reliable Parker and also Josh Kennedy rolling through there so it, it I suppose it all depends on the way you want to view it isn't it, everything in this part of the preseason is trying to avoid confirmation bias but looking for stats, facts, figures, information too because yeah you can say I won't pick him because of that but there are reasons to pick him too
0: yeah, I think the hard thing, MJ, we know with that buy structure we've got in round 14 is that by that point, we probably want to have our two premium rucks. Yep. So we're already at a point now, in, especially in Supercoach and DT, where if we've got Gorn and Grundy, who I believe are going to be the clear two rucks again, I think yep. Riley O'Brien can challenge, but what byron does he have? The same as them anyway. Mm-hmm. So for me, that's the three ruckmen that are the clear standouts. If we've, got those, if we've got two of those three by round 14, MJ, and we probably won't have a rookie ruck, it's very unlikely that we will. And I think we have to assume that we won't. And again, funnily enough, if we wanted to swing Rowan Marshall forward, he's also in this buy round. So I think if we've got those guys in the rucks, we're already down to, at best, 20 players on field yep. for a buy. And as you mentioned, Adelaide, led in the fence, Sydney, Lloyd in defense, yep. you know, Collingwood's got Chris Maynard, like Luke Wrong. Ryan. So all of a sudden yep. you might be looking and going, I'm already down to, you know, 20 players at best with having my premium ruck set up. I might have to avoid midfielders or defenders or forwards in these other rounds, just to keep some buy structure so I can have at the very least 18. Mm. But as we know, when it gets to that point of the season, you can't rely on your rookies being around. Nope. So if you could at least avoid some of that buy chaos up front, I think that's another reason that if it's a 50, 50 and you're weighing up a Petrarca versus someone else from around 12 or 13 by, you might be thinking, I'm just going to try to avoid a bit of pain. I've got not many players in round 12 and I'm rather, you know, pivot to a Josh Kelly who's in that round, Yeah, you know, or, or someone else that you really like. And I think that might be a factor because as I said, when you've got two spots already taken in a ruck line, and for me, those guys are clear cut. Yeah, I and mean, Riley O'Brien's Petrarca's there, in who's that third. Pack. Yeah. Yeah. And Petrarca's in that pack. I think that is a valid reason structurally to avoid a guy like Petrarca if you think he's about the same. And maybe you want to target him, you know, post round 14 to be the guy that rounds out your midfield. But we've spoken about that a lot. That round 14 has a lot of heavy, heavy hitters mm. across all lines. And it's going to be a really tricky balancing act to juggle our teams and build our teams up to that round.
1: It's it's going to be fascinating to see how, how much weightiness people do or don't put on that one week. We certainly look at the buy rounds as one large chunk of football. But again, if you don't think about how that last week goes, you could find yourself burning three trades, just to get 18 on the field and actually not improving your team. And so there's strategies and structures and things you need to look at, not just for starting squad, but for the way you go about upgrading them. I think what I like about um, Petrarca, there's a few things is that when we look at premium midfielders and, and maybe if you focus on drafts for a second as a way to help draw the thought out, you most people in the opening round, depending on where you get, are probably hesitant to lock away an M1 in the first round. They want to get that big premium ruck. You've mentioned a couple of them there. They want to lock in that Lloyd, that Dangerfield, that Dunkley, that all these players, the, the big-name players that are at the top of the tree and midfielders. There seems to be a little bit of hesitation about, can I have the level of trust that I might have had previously? Like If you look at some of the names, let's pick Lockie Neal. Still suffers from tags a little bit. Was a career year. Is it, is it likely that he's going to see at least a downturn, if not at very best a hold? There's probably you could build that argument. Jack Steele, well, they've gone and added a, a previously top 10 average disposal winner in Brad Crouch across the whole entire competition. You look at Bontempelli and McRae, well, they've gone and added Adam Trelaw. That's another big mouth to feed through there. Kelly, Fife, Cripps, even, even Tom Mitchell all coming off injury-interrupted seasons or have an injury question mark around them. But you look at Petrarca and you go, well, Melbourne haven't done really anything big to their midfield. He's shown that he can score well with the likes of Oliver, Brayshaw, Viney through there as well. And so all of a sudden, where we might have some levels of questions and doubts about, oh, what does this guy do? Yeah, he's value, but he's got an injury or a score. He's at a top price, but he's got a new big premium that's come in you can find yourself looking at Christian Petrarca going, maybe he is not the top midfielder for the year, but maybe he's one of the safest that could be around that top 10 averaging midfielders for us in 2021.
0: I think that's a great point, MJ, because he's safe in a few avenues. Like you mentioned, he's safe in terms of his durability's been great. Like you mentioned, the first year was ruled out with an ACL and unsurprisingly his first actual year he played, I say just, but 17 games is still pretty good for a guy playing his first season. As you mentioned, since then, he's just missed one home and away game. So durability, we really have to give him a massive tick. I think there's safety, and you mentioned, in the role. I think people realize at the back end of last year that Angus Brayshaw is not deserving of playing as a sole midfielder the way he's performing. It's clearly Oliver and Petrarca. And then it's a combination of, you know, Viney's obviously the first cab in there as well. But you could see a Tom Sparrow got some opportunity. And I think they want to roll a few other players through that. I don't think it's, you know, Brayshaw playing so well that we're going to push Petrarca forward because, again, and I still think it's going to be the case this year, Petrarca's is the best forward in Melbourne's team. And he's probably the best midfielder, you know, on that equal plane with Oliver. But it showed a lot more of an impact when Petrarca was the one getting it out of that midfield especially when you've got the advantage of a Gorn that you know most weeks you're going to have that edge and he's a very creative player MJ I know I mentioned that he was right up there in turnovers but some of that is the risk he takes with the ball like he really does try to set up scores for his teammates and again take scores himself so when you lay it out like that yeah Petrarca just being steady in that regard is a positive compared to the chaos you mentioned that other players who are contending with him for this top eight spot mm. are going with because I agree you can make a lot more negative cases for Cripps again whether it's body whether it's the rise of Sam Williams, Walsh and Setterfield. and yeah and obviously we know the Bulldogs is a is a chaotic mess again. Taylor Adams was sensational last year but if we're looking at body and history again, it's unlikely that he's going to play every game and yeah. um, you know what happens in that regard. So. When you put it out like that, MJ, especially, I think, in Super Coach, because mm. I feel like there's about a 10-point built-in gap between Petrarca's DT and Supercoach just yeah, by the right. nature of how contested he is and how much score involvement he does generate. Um, 110 is always around the mark. So, totally. yeah, maybe if he falls off a little bit, you know, it's not ideal, but it's definitely a guy that you can hold the whole year. Where you get in big trouble, as we know, is if you push a guy that's – 105, 110, and they plummet to a 95.
1: Yeah, that's stings.
0: That's where it gets really painful. And as you mentioned, when Melbourne wins, you know, is it chicken or the egg? Does Melbourne win because Pachaka played well or is it vice versa? But totally. the, the numbers show that he scores big. And it's not the hardest matchups to start the season. It's no. Fremantle at home, Saints, Giants, Cats, Hawks, Tigers, Roos and Swans. So really... It's probably a 50 50 if you were a tipster. You'd probably say Demons win half of those. Again, on the flip side, Geelong and GWS are probably the two that, obviously, sorry, and Richmond. But at the same time, we know Richmond's not as restrictive. You know, they're not going to give a hard tag to a They're very hard to beat in the actual game. But what we're playing, you know, you worry about a Geelong. You worry about GWS in the past when they monopolize the ball, especially when you're playing them away. And obviously, we've always got De Boer in there. That's yeah. always something that's a little bit of a worry. Um, but I think Petrarca is a bit more tag-proof than a lot of those other guys as well. So he's definitely under the radar, MJ. Mm-hmm. He's definitely someone I have not seen in one team. Nope. Not one team. And he's got a scoring potential about him that can start the season 130-plus for five, six weeks. And again, it puts people in a lot of conflict about whether they bring him in or not because... If you want to bring in a player like that and your buy structure is already a bit compromised in round 14, it can get real messy real quick.
1: It certainly can. Look, for me right now, he's on the watch list. I I don't have him in any of my starting squads, but he's not far from ruled out from every single format of the game. He's right in the watch list. What do I need to see in the preseason? Honestly, I probably need to see other midfielders in other teams keep disappointing me to make me go there but he's certainly going to be a watch list and definitely an upgrade target in 2021. But where he goes in drafts is interesting because based on where he's ranked right now, he should be somebody's M1 because he's ranked eighth for total points of all available midfielders for us in Dream Team and Fantasy and fifth in Supercoach. But I think others will see names that are lower than him and choose them ahead of it. So in Supercoach, Cripps is considerably lower. But I would think 90% of the time in a Supercoach draft, someone's going, I'm picking Cripps over Petrarca. Or they see a Josh Kelly, who is ranked a lot. They go, I'm picking a Josh Kelly in Dream Team and Fantasy over him. So he's got the potential to be your M1, but you're likely only going to have to pay an M2 rate for him, which means he probably could go in the third or fourth round, but based on scoring potential, he could deliver to you the value of a very, very um, early second selection or even at best a very late first round. So he he's a nice pick in a draft. I, I really rate him. Where are you taking him in a draft, man?
0: Yeah, I think MJ, the back end of the third round, early fourth is is your sweet spot. I think if you had the 3-4 t- the turn, um, that would be perfect because I totally agree. I think people want to take Sam Walsh ahead of him. Yeah, I think there's some people who are even crazy enough to put Matt Rowell ahead of him. (laughs) I think there's some guys, and this is why we've spoken about in these podcasts, I do see going for a big ruck, a big back, or a big forward as more important because depending on how you look at it, you could make the case that there's, you know, you might have Petrarca ahead of Neil and then someone Mm. else might have, you know, Walsh ahead of both of them. So midfielder for me, I just want to see what falls to me because I can't split a lot of these guys. I feel like Petrarca, though, is very safe. I feel like 100's about his floor mm. in DT. And I think 110's about his ceiling, if everything yep. went well. And I think about the same as Supercoach plus 10. So it'd be 110 Supercoach to 120. Yep, I feel very safe with that. Again, I love Walsh, but I could see a, a scenario where he just holds ground. You know, it's yeah. just, there's Plays a lot of variable. Yeah, so in my strategy in draft really this year is I want to lock away one back, Sorry, two ruck, Sorry, two of these, a ruck back or forward in my first three rounds. Yep. I want to have that. And then my fourth is probably going to be a mid and it's whatever's available. If it's Jack Steele, if it's Walsh, if it's Petrarca, again, as you mentioned, the names engine, there's going to be some good mids like, that get overlooked because as you mentioned, there's guys down the list that people go, oh, I love Matt Crouch's finish. I love, yes. and you might get comparable value. Yeah. I haven't seen a Cam Guthrie or a Mitch Duncan and these type of guys that can slide to you and yield the same return. So I think fourth round is where you'd love to get him. Yeah. I think if you took him in the third, he's not going to hurt you. No. But again, he might not have that upside. Well, in supercoach, I think he does, but in DT, I don't think he has the upside of some of these other guys. I think there's a few guys that have a score build that could take them into the. 110, 115 range. Yeah. Whereas Petrarca is probably, you get what you get last year at best, maybe a point or two either side.
1: Yeah, I think that's a fair enough call. Hey, mate, appreciate your thoughts today. Talking about one of your boys, Christian Petrarca. No problem. If you want to go and read the article, it is online now for you at coachespanel.tv about him and all of the other players we have revealed so far in the 50 most relevant. Tomorrow we hit that halfway marker, but if you're one of our Patreons already, you know who's at number 25. If you'd love some early access content to these podcasts, as well as a bunch of other articles and exclusive opportunities that we don't let everybody else get, but our Patreons do, you can join that Patreon supporter group at coachespanel.tv. We get to the halfway market tomorrow. Who's it going to be? Which line are we heading for? And which state do they play in? I'll tell you what, we played a lot of footy there last year which pretty much means it's everywhere other than Sydney and Melbourne. We'll we'll tell you more about it tomorrow.